Hello, everyone, and welcome back into the Valley Experience podcast, an Arizona sports podcast that dives into the diehard fandom of two Arizona sports fans. I'm Ryan Pesesnik. He's Logan Lober. And Logan, we've had a lot of incredible news surrounding Arizona sports this entire week. Lots to get into, and I'm super excited to be here with you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited as well. Uh, thank you to everyone who tuned into our first episode, followed us on all of our social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff. So thank you guys for listening to episode one. Excited to be back for episode two. We got just as much stuff to talk about in this one. We most certainly do. And we are going to lead off today's show with um, news that actually dropped on Wednesday. And that is the rumors that were circulating around Suns point guard, Chris Paul. According to Chris B. Haynes of TNT, he was the first to report that the Suns were looking to waive Chris Paul. But then further reports by Sham Sharania and Woj said that the Suns were not looking to waive Chris Paul. They were only having conversations about him potentially waiving him and discussing all other options to see what he can do um, to stay with the franchise moving forward. Obviously, this is some interesting news because Chris Paul has been one of the centerpieces to the organization ever since the Suns traded for him in 2020. He's been a great presence for guys in the locker room and has really helped a lot of the young guys develop into the consummate professionals that they are. But I think it's a conversation worth noting because Chris Paul is now 38 years old. He's going to be 39 in May of next year. And it looks like father time is starting to catch up to him just a bit. So with that all being said, Logan, what are your thoughts on the situation? Is this the end of CP3 in Phoenix? Or do you think that they could probably extend their options and maybe continue to see CP3 in a Suns uniform? Yeah, it's crazy that like we're not even fully into the NBA offseason and we're already getting these like uh, like smoke screens, if you will, like. You know, Chris Haynes tweeted out and just like, you know, my phone, I was actually at work at the time. So I'm like, I couldn't like fully like check my phone, but I just seen the notification, Chris Paul waived by Phoenix. And I was like, I mean, I guess like, even if that does happen, like I, I won't necessarily be surprised, but just to like, to actually see that and be like, dang, like, is Chris Paul like not on the Suns anymore? It was pretty crazy at first, but obviously, you know, an hour or two later, we, you know, got the Shams and Woj tweet that you know, said nothing yet, just conversations, everything's on the table. And I think everything uh, still is going to be on the table for a little bit longer. I think, I don't know if Chris Paul is going to be on the Suns. The one thing I can say that I'm pretty confident in is that if he is on the Suns, it is not going to be on the current contract that he has, which is the 30 plus million dollar uh, contract. I think if Chris Paul is going to be back on the Suns, it's going to be like the uh, the whole like wave and stretch stuff. I'm not too familiar with. I'd have to you know look more into that and how that works financially. But I think if Chris Paul is going to be on the Suns next year, it's going to be under a different contract, which would which would mean that the Suns would waive and then um, sign him back to a less expensive contract. Which I think, from what we've been hearing, sounds like a pretty it seems like that is a pretty likely option because, you know, in Woj's article, he mentioned that, you know, Chris still wants to be here. He likes the idea of playing with uh, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. So I think I think he's still 
his heart is still in Phoenix. And he, if he wants to win a championship, which, you know, I would assume he does, that's all he's about right now. Um, I feel like Phoenix gives him a really good opportunity to do that. Is he going to be back? It remains to be seen. But if he is, I feel pretty confident in saying that's not going to be on a $30 million contract. Well, that's a really good point. And you know what, Logan, I'm right there with you because at this point, Chris Paul is at a stage of his career where it's like you can't be paying a guy who is 38 years old and has been prone to injury, especially last season, this type of of amount of money. And I think, you know, if I'm Chris Paul and I'm looking at this situation, I'm weighing my options. And the options are, do I want to continue to be a starting point guard in this league or do I want to go and win a championship? And if his main priority is going to be to continue to remain a starting point guard in this league, then I don't think that he's going to return to the Suns. But if he wants to win a ring, then I could still see him being on this franchise. And the reason why is because I think that Chris Paul only comes back to the Suns if the Sun, if he's willing to go and accept a much lesser role. Because in my personal opinion, as much as I love Chris Paul and as much as I respect him, I don't think he's really a bona fide starter in this league anymore compared to what he was um, early on in his career and even dating back to a couple seasons ago. Um, we kind of saw a little bit of a drop off in um, last season where he really you've seen him getting to his spots in the past. I mean, he would go ahead and like, you know, knock down a lot of those mid range jumpers. And at this point at, or this time around, like it, he really didn't seem to really do that as much as he did in the past. So if I'm the Suns, I mean, having Chris Paul be your backup point guard on the team and really be the one to be in charge of leading your bench, I think it's certainly be an option. I think it just all depends on like if Chris Paul is willing to do that. I definitely agree with that. I think uh, one name that a lot of people have been like mentioning on Twitter uh, in terms of Chris Paul being back is is what Kyle Lowry has done with the Heat. You know, Kyle Lowry has, for his whole career, for the majority of his career, he's been, wherever he's been at, he's been the starting point guard. You know, he was the face of the franchise in Toronto. And even during that time with the rise, like uh, during their finals run with the um, the rise of Fred Van Vliet, uh, Kyle Lowry was still in the starting lineup no matter what, no matter how well Fred Van Vliet was doing. You know, they would, they would, everything would go around Kyle Lowry. Now he gets to the Heat. Uh, even at times this year, he was their starting point guard, but, you know, he has started to decline in his role and they ended up moving him to the bench. And obviously it's not looking good for Miami right now, but I mean, having Gabe, Gabe Vincent in that starting role, Kyle Lowry running the bench has, has been great for them. So if Phoenix is able to, and like, like, Gabe Vincent isn't he's not some superstar all-star level point guard but if you can just have a guy who fits with the other four guys in the starting lineup well and have Chris Paul come off the bench like that can be that can end up being a great fit for the Suns so if that all depends if Chris is willing to take that type of a role he seems like the guy at this point that would be just because he's all about getting that first ring uh, so, so yeah, I think if he's able to, if he's able to take that, you know, six man run the bench unit type of role, 
I think that would be really good for the Suns. Very good point, bro. Uh, moving on now, staying with the Suns, Frank Vogel also had his introductory press conference this past week, and there was a lot to like there. He said that he wanted this team to be scrappy as hell. He almost, in a sense, kind of gave me Paul Westfall vibes because, of course, you know, Paul Westfall, former player for the Phoenix Suns in the 70s and early 80s, and he was also the head coach of the 92-93 uh, team that made it to the finals and lost six games to the Bulls and then was also the head coach of the team uh, for two seasons afterwards. I'll tell you what, I am continuing to like Frank Vogel more and more. And I guess the reason why I wasn't too high on the hire at first was because obviously I don't really think I knew too much about him, but he has really come in and just set a great tone, I think, in his introductory press conference. You can tell that he wants to be here. And I thought that it was really interesting, too, because he mentioned how much he loved that 92-93 Suns team and just about how that team basically stole his heart as a basketball fan. Um, so, yeah, I think certainly a lot to like there from Vogel. And they also um, I also like the addition of uh, David Fisdale on the roster as well. So, yeah, lots to like there um, from the new Suns head coach. Yeah, definitely. I think um, you mentioned Fins Fisdale. I think they're starting to, you know, put together a pretty solid coaching staff. I know uh, we've lost a couple guys to Monty Williams in Detroit. I think, I believe, Mark Bryant and um, Jarrett Jack, still up in the air, but there's rumors that he might be heading there too. So with those two guys gone, it's it's nice to see that they've added some uh, obviously retaining Kevin Young, which we talked about in the last episode, uh, and also hiring Fisdale. So they're putting together a um, pretty good staff, I would say. Uh, as far as the press conference, you know, it's always kind of hard to analyze press conferences, like, because, you know, unless you're just like some super like high, like charismatic type of guy, like, you know, in the NFL, like with Dan Campbell, you're really not going to like, I don't want to say like you're not going to learn too much, but he's not going to like give away everything you want to know. Like, you know, obviously got a lot of questions about the future of DeAndre and and it's like, you know, Frank Vogel is not going to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to we're probably going to look to trade him. Like, he's just not he's just not going to say that. So obviously he's going to say, you know, he's excited to work with them, very talented, all that type of stuff, you know, kind of expected to hear that no matter what, I don't think that means like guaranteed that Aiton's back with the team. I think there's still, you know, going to be a lot of discussions had about him. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was encouraging to hear, um, you know, kind of his philosophy on how he's going to run, you know, his defense. Um, and I think it was good to, it was good to hear that he's um, been in touch with both Booker and Durant, you know, they're like, kind of in that dead period where there wasn't any like news or anything. Everyone's like, how's Booker going to feel about um, Vogel? You know, he pushed for young. I think some of that was kind of blown out of proportion. I don't think it like Booker was going to be upset if they, it wasn't young. Obviously he's not upset. He's fine with the hire. So that was encouraging to hear that, you know, they've been, they've been speaking ever since the hire. Um, and I, I'm excited to uh, see how the rest of the staff fills out yeah absolutely and I mean going back to your point as well on um, DeAndre Ayton look there's certainly I think if you're looking at 
any of the guys that are on this roster currently right now, he's the one that I think certainly has the most questions that are surrounding him because obviously like the Suns were, I mean, there were reports last off season that the Suns were looking to trade Aiton. And now, I mean, his name once again is brought up because you look at just the way that he performed in the playoffs and he wasn't, he didn't have, I think like the postseason um, that I think a lot of Suns fans had hoped he would. Um, but I think it's certainly a lot to like, I think from just his energy and his willingness to be here and take this franchise to new levels. And I think that, you know, him being also with James Jones as well is that's going to be another great head coach general manager duo, because you can tell that both of these guys really want to go and bring the Suns their first championship. You also add that on top of the guy like Matt Ishbia, who has said on um, the Burns and Gambo show this past week that he will do whatever it takes to win. He said that money will follow in the future, but it's great to see that. I mean, obviously now you have a fresh new core in place with a great head coach, a great GM and a great owner who's willing to spend on the organization it should be a hopefully a pair that really delivers this team as first championship. Although there's a lot of holes on this roster that certainly need to be filled in order for them to do that. For sure. I think uh, going back to Aiton a little bit, um, I actually saw this on Twitter, so I don't know who it was. So I apologize. I'm not able to, you know, give credit to them, but I thought it was an interesting take where going back all the way to the decision to draft DeAndre and, I think a lot of people who were against that pick at the at the beginning was because of, you know, the center position kind of going away a little bit. You know, that was the start of, you know, this small ball era. And like people weren't super high on taking a guy number one overall that was uh, in a dying like a dying position. But now that like you look at it, bigs like having a dominant big. Is like becoming like you know a popular trend like a winning formula now what you look at what Giannis did with the Bucks uh what Jokic is doing now obviously we haven't seen him play in the NBA yet but with Victor Wembanyama coming into the league so I feel like the thought was or um they had the the Suns had the right idea taking Aiton whether that was an unpopular decision or not because you see what having a dominant force, um, a dominant big, you see what type of success that can get you. So, you know, whether Frank Vogel's able to get that out of him or not, I think if there's anyone who can, who can, uh, Aiden, there is definitely potential is there. Like we have, we've been saying that his whole career. I still believe that. I don't know if it's going to end up being tapped into with the Suns, but if it is, if he is here with the Suns, I really hope that Frank is able to get that out of him. I agree with you 100%, Logan. I think that that's a great point that you made. And for me, when it comes to DeAndre Ayton, look, I wanted him from the moment that the Suns got the first overall pick. And the reason why was because of that very issue. They needed a center. And I said this on last week's show. I mean, when you have a guy coming out of the University of Arizona who was getting comparisons to David Robinson and Wilt Chamberlain and averaged right around 20 points and 10 rebounds and was pretty darn efficient. 
why hesitate on pulling the trigger on a guy like DeAndre Ayton, especially when you see the raw athleticism and potential still being like being there. Um, and obviously like with DeAndre being here, I, I think that a lot of Suns fans feel a bit disappointed by him because sometimes he doesn't live up to their level of expectation, but also at the same time too, you have to acknowledge the fact that he is still a really talented center, but I think he just needs the right head coach. And I'm going to echo the same exact thing that I said on last week's show. As much as I love Monty Williams, he was not the right head coach for DeAndre Ayton because he didn't channel his inner that inner motivation or he didn't channel that inner dog that we know that DeAndre Ayton is capable of playing because we've seen it where he can be that 20-point, 20 20-rebound 20 guy on a nightly basis. Um, he had a little stretch of that um, right after the Suns traded for Durant, like right around um, – mid-February where DA was just on its complete tear and so I think you know with Frank Vogel especially since he's been a head coach and you look at some of the guys that he's coached again I mean Roy Hibbert when he was in Indiana Nikola Vucevic when he was in Orlando um, Anthony Davis when he was with the Lakers that's why it is it makes it I mean I know like getting a trade package deal for DeAndre Ayton and pieces to follow certainly would be nice but you also can't undermine that the Suns got a head coach in Frank Vogel, who is also known for developing centers and making them reach their full potential, so to speak. Staying with the Suns here, there was an interesting rumor that popped up that I think it's important for us to talk about. And that is the rumors surrounding James Harden potentially wanting to be on the Phoenix Suns. Now, according to John Gambadoro of 98.7 FM Arizona Sports, he said that don't believe the rumors, they're not true, and the likelihood of James Harden to the Suns is pretty much a pipe dream. I probably echo the same sentiment that Gambo does, that James Harden to the Suns is likely a pipe dream. But I think it's still cool to at least dream of that scenario where you have a backcourt of Devin Booker and James Harden, followed by Kevin Durant. I mean, it's cool to at least dream, right? <laughs> yeah, it, def it definitely is. And classic Gambo there, just completely shutting it down. I mean, it's not <laughs> – it's funny that we joke about because, like, he's never wrong with this type of stuff. So I guess, I guess it's just not going to happen. But, you know, I feel like it's still going to be something that gets thrown around every once in a while, especially when we get, you know, into the peak uh, or the start of – um, free agency. Obviously, it would be amazing to have James Harden on the Suns. Um, but yeah, like you said, I I don't really see that. Uh, I don't see that happening. James Harden is an amazing is an amazing basketball player, but with the way that the Suns are put together right now, uh, money wise. I don't think it's smart to have to have James Harden as your other max level player. I think when you look at the success that the two teams in the finals have right now, the Heat and the Nuggets, you know, they have their two guys, Nuggets, Jokic and Murray, uh, Heat have Butler and Adebayo. After that, like it, every single guy, with the exception of a couple, because, you know, no team is perfect, but every guy 
down the line on both teams are a guy that you can rely on consistently. You have with like with the Nuggets, you know, Aaron Gordon is he's going to guard your best player every night. And he's also going to contribute on offense a little bit. Um, you know, the Heat, those get they, like they just go down the line, especially with Vincent and Duncan, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, uh, even Kevin Love can contribute still a little bit. My point here is that the Suns have their two guys, and they're a pretty good two guys to have with Booker and Durant. Um, so if they're just able to not just throw another 30 to 40 million at another guy, but have a bunch of guys, you know, anywhere from 8 million to 20 million that you can count on uh, come playoff time too, not to contribute on both ends of the floor. You know, with the Suns, one thing that, you know, caught up to them is that they have a lot of guys who are, who are good at like one or two things. Um, you know, a Kogi, obviously excellent defender, but come playoff time, he's just not really going to be in the rotation because of his liabilities on offense. Same thing with guys like Torrey Craig. Obviously, he's a great guy to have on your team, but, you know, in the starting lineup, sometimes not always the best. Same thing goes for Landry Shamit, kind of the opposite of those two guys where when he's on his, – his thing is that he can – should be able to contribute on offense. It hasn't always been the case for Shamit. But my point is that the Suns can do – I think they can build a really good team surrounding Booker and Durant and not Booker, Durant, and another superstar and then a bunch of guys who you just don't really know what you're going to get from. That Yeah, that's a very good point. And look, I think that for the Suns, going back to just what you were saying – and really, this is exactly what they were saying on Arizona sports as well on Burns and Gambo that for the Suns, like you just said, I'm going to circle back to your point where you mentioned about like having both D book and um, Kevin Durant on your team. Yeah, those are two fantastic guys to have on your team. I mean, that's like a pairing made in heaven right there. And we got a really good dose of that, I think, in the playoffs to see just like how lethal the pair were in really, I think, keeping the Suns afloat in um, a lot of their playoff series, um, or in both of their playoff series, I should say. Um, but yeah, I think like it's important for the Suns to go and build this team with guys who, like you said, can contribute. I mean, that's part of like how Miami, I mean, is so successful right now is because you have your bona fide superstar in Jimmy Butler. And then you have Bam Adebayo, who he is an all-star center. But then it's like you also got guys on that, too. Like, I mean, you've got Gabe Vincent, who is also another good role player. Max Struess, who can really knock down threes. Duncan Robinson, even though he's been kind of lacking a little bit, he's also still known to really shoot the three ball at a high level. And then, like you mentioned, Kevin Love. I mean, he was always a solid role player for Cleveland. He wasn't a guy that, I mean, it's like you consistently had to go and rely upon to score the basketball. But he still is one guy where it's like he can – pull up from from three when he needs to he can go up and get he can go down low and get those tough boards and push guys in the paint so that's exactly like what I'm kind of looking for and it kind of just fits the motto of what I think Frank Vogel said in his introductory press conference that he wants guys that are not only going to get after it on the court on a nightly basis 
but he wants guys that are going to be scrappy. And that's certainly, I think a lot of um, guys that certainly, I think fits the mold for what the heat are right now, because they have a lot of scrappy guys who can get big buckets when they need to, to go and help their superstars so that they don't go ahead and do all the scoring on a nightly basis, because that's exactly what I think was the issue with the Suns was that they were too reliant upon Booker and Durant getting most of their points, um, especially in the playoffs. And that turned out to be a complete failure. So just the, the game plan for the Suns going into this offseason is finding competent role players to go and build around Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, while also addressing other needs as well. Like we just mentioned beforehand, the point guard position, I think, is one that would certainly be um, a need of upgrade. But we shall see. We shall see. <laughs> All righty. Moving on to another Valley sports team, the Arizona Diamondbacks. They just took their three-game series against Detroit, won it three games to none, uh, won their last game of the season today, 7-5, to five, after initially being down 5-2. to two. Logan, I can't say enough great things about this Diamondbacks team. I mean, the grit and the swagger that this team has is special. Yeah, it definitely is special. Um, words just can't even describe like how like how fun this team is to watch. I thought before the season, I, I thought they'd be fun to watch, but I didn't know if that would translate into wins just yet. And now they're fun to watch, and it is translating into wins. So, um, yeah, they're just uh, they're having a great start to the year. Obviously, atop the NL West, uh, Dodgers continue to continue to lose games you know that was kind of a couple weeks ago even even though the d-backs were hot the dodgers were also winning games so we weren't really making any ground but now we are and we are um i believe as of right now it's three and a half game lead top the nls which is just awesome to say it's always good to be in front of the dodgers in the standings whether it's first place or second to last because then the dodgers will be in last but um yeah it's been a, it's been a great start um i put this on my twitter uh, after the game um where you know that that last win against the tigers like those are those those are the games that great teams win you know they were they were out of it uh for the most of the game you know i believe it was five to two in the eighth um and then all of a sudden you know they just start they just start stringing their hits together and uh they end up taking the lead in the ninth and and holding it down <laughs> Unlike uh, last week's episode where we came on after the uh, the blown save to the Braves, yeah, it's been it's been a great start to the year. Uh, it was a great win today. Obviously, Gallon didn't have didn't have his best stuff, but when you're able to win when your best guy doesn't have his his best stuff, you know that's that's what playoff teams do. They do whatever it takes to win. Just been a great start. They their schedule continues to be pretty pretty winnable so you know i expect them to you know keep building on building on this uh nl west lead and head right into the all-star break yeah i'm right there with you i mean look I, I it's incredible just watching this diamondbacks team and seeing how poised and resilient they are and i like it how um steve Berthume and bob brenley and gonzo on the valley sports broadcast team call this team the answer backs because that's exactly what this team is i mean this the way that this team is able to go and answer back every time that they're down, especially considering for how young they are on top of it as well. I mean, you've got some veteran guys in the lineup, like you've got Guriel, you've got Christian Walker, 
you've got Rojas, but then it's like you also look at guys like Jake McCarthy and Corbin Carroll, um, even like, you know, Emmanuel Rivera as well. The It's a great mixture of veteran guys and young guys on this team that really seem to have a close bond together, which hopefully should be continue to be a good winning formula for this team moving forward, because I'll tell you what, it's Arizona is an excellent, I mean, outside of it being an awesome, like if we're talking Phoenix in general, outside of it being a great basketball town, you can't forget that the Diamondbacks won the world series in 2001, especially when nobody expected them to. And I remember there was this um, question that came up on uh, Valley sports, Arizona, where it's just like, would you rather see a Diamondbacks player win an MVP or would you rather see them get another ring? And I'm just like, give me another ring, please. Because look, they deserve it. And out of all the Diamondbacks teams, you know, over the years that we've had to watch, it's great to finally have one that really does look like a serious contender because it's been a long time coming. Definitely. And, um, you know, you mentioned, uh the question brought up by Bally Sports on if they would rather have an MVP or a ring. Speaking of MVPs, I think it's I think it is time that we start the Corbin Carroll for MVP campaign. You know, we this whole year we've been talking about, you know, he's the favorite for the rookie of the year. Obviously it looks like um unless Ellie De La Cruz for the Reds catches fire, it looks like Corbin Carroll's about a about to run away with this rookie of the year but I think it's time to to start the MVP train for Corbin Carroll uh this is uh this is as of yesterday so it doesn't include his his multi-hit game today uh but this is from Valley Sports Arizona's Twitter and his last 15 games he has a 390 average six home runs 15 runs scored 16 runs driven in five stolen bases which is a over a 1200 OPS. I mean, this guy, this guy is electric, dude. Like he, I am so glad that he is on our team. I'm so glad that we finally have one of these top prospects who actually, who actually delivers, um, you know, that we've, that's been the one thing that, um, I don't know if this is something with Tori Lovello or just kind of a bad luck organizational type thing, but the D-backs have had a lot of top prospects come through who just, you know, really haven't um, really haven't delivered. And Corbin Carroll is finally doing that. I think, you know, that might just be um, an exception because Corbin Carroll is just, you know, I just that he's just awesome. He's so good. Um, but, yeah, he he is he is so fun to watch. He's so talented. Obviously, we knew he was fast, but now he's just slugging home runs every game. Um, and I think, obviously, he's the favorite to win Rookie of the Year. I think he should be the favorite to start the All-Star game in the outfield. And he is making his case in this first half of the year to to be in that MVP race. I completely agree with you there. I think that he 100% should be in the MVP conversation because if you look at just how he has not only been able to get it done offensively as well, but he's also made some incredible defensive plays as well. I mean, anytime if you put him at left field or center field and there's a ball that's coming his way, there's a time where 
I mean, we've seen like a few of the incredible diving catches that he's made to just go up there and get it or go down low and slide to go and get it. This guy is just the complete package. And like you said earlier about just like the speed that Corbin Carroll brings, I've never seen a guy run the bases as well as Corbin Carroll has. I mean, it's just like, you know, for a fact that <laughs> if he has like a base hit into, um, into right field, that is probably going to be like more like shallow, right? You at least know that he's going to be digging for a second, which for most guys, that's probably one that they would most likely get a single out of. But like for him, because his speed is just so unbelievably incredible, he uses that at his, as his, at, to his advantage. And that just makes him the type of lethal player that he is. I saw this on Twitter earlier today, but um, there's only been two players that have won uh, rookie of the year and MVP in the same season. I, I can't remember who one of who the first one was, but um, the second was Ichiro which is pretty cool because I think that's one of the guys that uh, that Corbin kind of, you know, looks up to models the game after. Yeah, that's actually true. I, um, yeah, because Ichiro won it in uh, 2001, which was the year that the uh, Mariners set the um, most wins in the regular season um, for any MLB team. Right. And because uh, I think, I think he actually led the league in hits that year as well, which that's a great guy to certainly model your game after the great Ichiro Suzuki. So now that we basically just like delved into all of the positives for the Diamondbacks, I want to go and stick to the topic of, of the Diamondbacks, but I want to go and focus on their needs because while it's cool looking at the amazing start that they've been on up to this point, you still look at the roster and there are a few gaping holes that are out there. And I mean, you start to look at maybe adding potentially another starting pitcher or maybe even potentially um, shoring up that bullpen. In my personal opinion, I think that it would be nice for them to certainly get that reliever because if you look at guys like Miguel Castro and Andrew Chafin have mostly been their guys to go and close out games. And Lavello has said early on that he's going to weigh their um, – closer out as just it being a committee early on but it's certainly something that I don't think is the best thing not to have going into the playoffs if you're really serious about making that playoff run so I'm curious to really look at a few guys here about you know who the Diamondbacks could potentially be in um, looking at at the deadline um, if you look at guys I'm looking at it maybe like potentially a role this Chapman would be a great one um, given that he has had postseason success. He did win a World Series um, with the Cubs in 2016. And he's a guy that can really throw hard, throw a hard fastball. I mean, it's, I mean, when anytime you have a fastball, you know, thrown um, by uh, Aroldis Chapman and you're a guy that's up to bat, good luck. Um, so maybe Aroldis Chapman. I was even looking at another one too, which um, are good. I was, having a conversation with our good buddy, Steven. And he mentioned a guy that I thought would also be intriguing in um, Alexis Diaz um, of the uh, Cincinnati Reds, right? I checked his ERA and I think it was right around like 184 or something like that, which is absolutely insane. So I'd probably say that. And then if you're looking at maybe potentially like starting pitchers, um, we talked about this, I think last week about maybe they're potentially being guys like, Shane Bieber on the market, um, maybe even potentially Deese of, of Chicago. Um, so I think because I look at the Diamondbacks and it's like, 
obviously Gallon and Kelly are your, are your two main starters. But then you start to look down the line and you have Zach Davies, Tommy Henry, Ryan Nelson. And with all due respect to those guys, Henry, I think, is one guy you got to have in your uh, starting rotation. But the other two in Davies and Nelson, it's a bit questionable. So I certainly, you know, it'd certainly be something that if I'm the Diamondbacks, I'd look into. But I'm curious to get your thoughts, Logan. What do you think the Diamondbacks should do? We talked a little bit about it on the last episode about, you know, uh, upgrading the bullpen, getting another starter. So those are definitely like I think the D-backs come come trade season are they're always going to be in the mix on some of those bullpen arms, some of the starters. Um, But to kind of look outside of those two needs, I think another one that this team can definitely upgrade on. And I don't know like what position it would be, but um, obviously with the DH now that makes things a little bit easier, but I think this team could definitely use another uh, power bat in the lineup. That's one thing that I don't want to say they've struggled with because obviously you have this power surgence of Corbin Carroll recently. Guriel has been hitting a lot of home runs. Obviously, you know, the, the power ability of Christian Walker, but I think if, if they were able to insert another uh, power bat into that lineup, it would be, it would be, um, I think that would be much needed. You know, you saw the D-backs have had their success of acquiring power bats at the deadline. We saw what, J.D. Martinez did for us a few years back, just absolutely carried the lineup for the second half of the season. So I think that's definitely a spot in the in the offense that they could upgrade, um, as well as, you know, the, the starters and relievers that we kind of touched on. Obviously, you touched on it now, and we also both touched on it uh, last week, too. Yeah, that's a good point about um, certainly – I mean, it'd be nice – for them to certainly add that extra power hitter. And look, I know that the whole philosophy in baseball is that in order to win a championship, you have to have three solid pitchers and then maybe a solid hitting. But also, I mean, we've seen that last year where like, look at the Phillies. They basically went in there with not the best, not like, you know, the brightest of starting rotations, but they had an elite offense because he had guys on that team. Like, Bryce Harper and Nick Castellanos and Reese Hoskins, guys that Kyle Schwarber even too, guys that were just excellent, excellent power hitters. And so, yeah, it'd certainly be nice for the Diamondbacks to maybe potentially looking into um, adding another one of those bats to the lineup that can get you more consistent hits and more runs because, I mean, right now, the Diamondbacks probably could get away with maybe having the starting rotation of Gallon, Kelly, Nelson, Davies, and Henry. But it's also a there's kind of a little bit of like dark clouds that kind of still surround it as well. Because I mean, we obviously know how elite Kelly and Gallon are, but then it's like again, you start looking down that rotation, and those guys just really haven't proven themselves, at least for me personally, as being trustworthy to rely upon in crucial game situations. So I think in my personal opinion, yes, definitely. I would love to see them add like another um, power bat to the lineup, but I got to go pitcher here. And maybe, maybe that's playing it a bit safe, but look, we've seen it at least with the Diamondbacks where they have had like, obviously like the, that second or third guy that they've always been missing in their rotation, which has come to plague them. 
from time to time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we saw it. We saw it back in 2017 um, when they got swept by the Dodgers. Obviously, they they got the wild card game, but didn't have success against the Dodgers. Um, uh, at that that year, Granky and Robbie Ray were their two guys. Both of those guys actually pitched in the wild card game, so they rolled out. Um, I believe Tywin Walker started game one, and I don't, I actually don't know if he survived the first inning. So you definitely want to have, uh, I mean, that year we thought we had a pretty solid rotation. Walker had a good year. Uh, Patrick Corbin had a good year. Um, but obviously playoffs are just a, a different beast. So obviously you want to have, you want to have guys that you're going to rely on when you're not able to give the ball to your ace and Zach Allen or give the ball to your to your number two and Merrill Kelly. Obviously they, they can't go every day playoffs. You know, they're going to be a little bit more available in terms of pitching on short rest, but obviously you're not going to be able to roll those guys out every single day. So you want to be able to have uh, guys at the back end that you can rely on and guys uh, in the bullpen as well. So, you know, last week and this week, kind of just talking about needs, not as many names, once we, you know, get a little closer to the deadline, we will definitely start hammering on some specific players that we uh, would be intrigued for, for the D-backs to go, off, go out and get. Good stuff, man. Absolutely. Moving on to the third Valley sports team of this podcast that we will be discussing, and one that we really didn't get a chance to discuss last week, and that is the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, of course, their incredible series that they have called Flight Plan just dropped their new episode this week, and it really dived into Monty Austin Ford's command of the war room during the draft. Logan, I'm going to tell you something about this guy. I think what is, I think it's no secret that the Cardinals are almost bound to struggle mightily this upcoming season, but I think it certainly provides a lot of optimism for the future because if you just look at the difference in energy that both Austin Fort and even Jonathan Gannon bring, it's a lot different compared to Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury, especially like with Monty Austin Fort, because with him, the difference in the difference in philosophy, I think that makes him stand out more than Steve Kime is that Austin Fort is looking to build the Cardinals back to prominence again through the draft. Whereas with Kime, he always looked to build up the Cardinals through free agency and maybe taking a chance on guys that were more towards like the tail end of, of his, of their careers. And kind of hit a, had a few of them that, you know, were able to contribute with the Cardinals um, towards the tail end of their careers. I mean, you look at Chris Johnson being a guy um, you look at John Abraham, some guys, you know, that were able to at least con contribute significantly, but that's only a formula that will only get you so far. And I mean, obviously, if we look at Steve Kime and the way that he has had just poor draft after poor draft after poor draft, I mean, it was unacceptable. And it ultimately, I think, caught up with the Cardinals um, to a point where it was hard for them to go and dig themselves out of that hole. So it's great to, I mean, to see Monty Austin for be as aggressive as he is and be that type of guy where he's not going to take any crap from anyone. I mean, we saw it with DeAndre Hopkins, where he was unable to get the type of deal that he wanted. And to really, I think, get the most out of every deal that he makes, he it's great to have a guy like that who has that, that type of command and presence within your organization to go and make those type of decisions. And I think 
you know, that the Cardinals should be in for a long time of hopefully having much more successful drafts than uh, what they had under Steve Kine. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I think there's no, there's no um, sugarcoating things. The Cardinals, the Cardinals are not going to be good this season. They're, <laughs> they're probably going to be one of the top five worst teams in the league. Maybe. I mean, a lot of people are, I mean, they're the favorites to be the worst team in the league. Um, and we, we don't know if, if, um Jonathan Gannon is en- is going to end up being uh, a solid head coach but one thing we do know is that it is a completely different vibe than the previous regime with Kime and Kingsbury um and I think that is what a lot of Cardinals fans were looking for yeah we don't know how it's going to work out but like I said it's it's different and uh you just spoke on it there but the fact that Monty Austin Fort is building this team through the draft is something that this team just desperately has needed uh, in the past few years. And it, it finally caught up to them, which led to the firing of both the head coach and GM just one year after they were given extensions. Um, still don't like thinking about that, but that's in the past. Now we got Monty doing his thing that that Twitter, uh, that video of him, that was on Twitter from the draft was spectacular. I, I watched that multiple times. It was so cool to see uh, him not only fielding calls to move down, but then to move back up. And I, I put this on my Twitter, but I was like, show me Kime doing that. Like what, like that was so different than what we've gone through in the past. And it was so cool. Obviously this is his first time being a GM but to just, you know, see him work, like field all these calls on the clock too. Like this is uh, like he is, he's on the clock and he's talking with multiple teams, not only about moving down, but then moving back up to get Paris Johnson. So I think that it's definitely encouraging to see um, a competent front office for the Cardinals. Uh, Like I said, this, they're probably not going to be very good this year, but that just means that just means another high pick. Um, and with the addition of the Houston Texans pick, it's going to be even more fun next year to see uh, Monty and company kind of work the draft again and just keep just keep bringing in the young talent. This team has hardly any of that, <laughs> so. Um, it's it's gonna be rough, but the vision is there. And I think going back to Hopkins, you know, a lot of people were upset about the Cardinals just not getting anything for him for a guy as talented as DeAndre Hopkins. He's you know been one of the best uh wide receivers of the last decade. Um, but so yeah, obviously people are gonna be upset when you're not able to get anything in return for that. But but like I said, like money the vision is there and that has been something that the Cardinals just have not had under previous regimes. So yeah, it's, it stinks that they didn't get any picks because you know, that is what uh, Monty is going to be utilizing in the future is these draft picks, but, but the foundation is being laid. Yes, it might, it's going to be a slow, long process, but the foundation is being, is being laid. We're going to, you know, continue to, build through the draft, build through the trenches. 
uh, with the offensive and defensive line being an emphasis early on. Um, and yeah, it's, it's gonna, this year is gonna stink, but you know, I'm excited to kind of look forward to what Monty's gonna build here. Yeah. First of all, amazing, great points right there that you brought. I do want to bring up something though. I mean, obviously, like you said, um, and like I said previously, I mean, it's no secret that, yeah, we expect the Cardinals to be just absolute dog crap. But there is something intriguing that I do want to bring up, though, and that is Clayton Toon. Because I've heard reports that I've seen just from PHNX, and even DeAndre Hopkins said it before he got released, that Clayton Toon really started to impress Adam OTAs. And I look at like his stats in college, and they weren't bad. I mean, he put up some good stats at the University of Houston. And sometimes, I mean, we've seen it with the 49ers um, last year where Brock Purdy was able to thrive, you know, even though he was like, you know, Mr. Irrelevant in the draft. Now, obviously, there's a lot of varying factors behind that in the sense that he had Kyle Shanahan as his head coach, who is an offensive guru. But it's at least, you know, something that I think maybe – we could be a little bit excited about in the sense that maybe Clayton Toon could really give Colt McCoy a run for his money and really competing for that backup quarterback position because, you know, we need something that we can at least be excited about. And maybe he can be a guy that, I mean, could surprise early on. And I was even listening to Bo Brock on the um, PHNX sports podcast that he said that, I mean, is he thought that Clayton Toon was going to be a guy that, I mean, he's not going to like, um, wow, you like Brock Purdy is, but I mean, he still could at least make it fun and at least watchable for um, us Cardinals fans. If he is given that um, starting role um, up until the point where um, Kyler comes back, which is probably going to be around mid season. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, like you said, there's, there's not going to be a lot to look forward to with this team, but um, if Clayton Toon, you know, obviously doesn't look like we're going to be starting the year with Kyler. It, we might, uh, it might be the major, a majority of the season that we don't have Kyler. So, you know, if Colt McCoy is struggling, obviously we got um, uh, David Blau back. So those guys, you know, aren't, aren't cutting it. Yeah. Maybe, you know, Clayton Toon gets a, gets a couple starts and shows some flashes, you know, we, we've, you, you know, you mentioned Purdy, you know, there's a lot of guys, um, that are, you know, late round picks, you know, aren't, aren't expected to see the field, you know, in their first couple of years, but they end up getting thrown in right away. Uh, you said, per you mentioned Purdy, also a guy like Gardner Minshew. Um, yeah. Had success in that type of role. So yeah, you know, maybe Clayton Toon uh, comes in, starts a couple, starts a couple games, wins a couple games. And uh, you know, you got, obviously this isn't going to be our, our franchise quarterback by any means but yeah maybe we could just have a you know a cheap uh solid backup quarterback for a few years yeah that'd certainly be nice i do want to actually circle back to the um cardinals prediction because i saw adam rank on uh, nfl network and he predicted the cardinals were going to go two and 15 on the season which i'm just curious to get your thoughts do you think that's Fair or unfair of rank to make that type of assessment and prediction? Okay, so looking at the schedule now, 
they start off they start off the year with uh with three straight NFC East I believe that's yeah NFC East opponents with the Commanders, the Giants and the Cowboys and then follow that up with at the Niners, home against the Bengals, at the Rams. So yeah, I mean 2 and 15 that's a pretty uh that's a pretty bold prediction even for as bad as the Cardinals are. Um Two two wins is not a lot. It would it surprise me? No, it would not surprise me at all if the Cardinals won two games all year. Um, but I feel like the thing with like these like heavy favorites to be the worst team in the league, uh, you know, at this at this point where we are now, it usually like it hardly ever goes that way. So I hope they are. I hope the Cardinals have the number one pick. Um, but I feel like it usually it usually just is some team that you know, obviously isn't good, but then a couple other things pile on top of that um, to, you know, put them into that worst team uh, tier. Obviously, I don't, no one expected the Bears to be good last year, but I don't think anyone was picking them to be the worst team. You know, everyone was talking about, you know, how the Lions were going to be so bad. Obviously, that didn't happen. So, you know, you never know, especially this far out from the season. Um, you never know who's going to be who's going to be the worst team in the league. It's going to it's going to take a few things uh, to go wrong. And, you know, the Cardinals have a lot going wrong with this team. But but two and 15, you know, usually the worst team is, you know, anywhere between four and, you know, three, four five wins. So um, I definitely think the Cardinals are in that territory. So it's a bold prediction, but I don't think they'll have two wins, but I don't think it'll be much more is what I'll say about that. Yeah, I think if I'm going to set a ceiling for the team, it's probably more likely like, I mean, five or six wins because, I mean, you have teams like, okay, Washington should be a winnable game for them. I mean, the Giants is definitely, I think, going to be a tough one. The Cowboys one is going to be a tough one. And then you mentioned, I think, what was it, the Niners and the Bengals that they have coming up afterwards? Yeah, Niners, Bengals. We'll just go through. So Niners, Bengals, and then week six is at the Rams. Week seven is at the Seahawks. Lost. Week eight is home against the Ravens. And then weeks nine and ten are the Browns on the road, the Falcons at home. And then at the Texans, which that should be an interesting game. Uh, yeah, very interesting game. That might be uh, – a battle for the number one pick right there. And luckily we have, we can't really lose in that situation because we have the, uh, we have both, both picks there. So that should be a fun watch. And then week 12 is home against the Rams. 13 is on the road against the Steelers. And then it is home against the Niners on the road against the bears. And then on the road against the Eagles. And then the final game, is home against Seattle. So I don't think it's uh it's not that crazy of a schedule, but it's definitely not it's definitely not easy. There's definitely some some tough opponents in there. So you know these prediction videos always come up at the end of the year just showing how bad they are. I don't think the Cardinals are gonna like make the playoffs or anything, but it's it's hard to make these win predictions this far out from the season. So obviously this whole this whole segment we've been doing have been talking about how the Cardinals are going to be so bad but I think two wins is a uh, is a little strong yeah I think so um I mean we'll see then again 
I mean, if we've noticed anything with the NFL, anything is possible and you never know who's going to come on top. But I mean, at least for us Cardinals fans, it's um, pretty easy that they aren't going to be very good. Although, like you said, two wins is really setting the bar low, but maybe if they can be in that five or six win range, hopefully um, that could be like maybe something that could be a lot better um, compared to Adam Rank's prediction. Um, moving on to uh, just some hockey news here. Um, Shane Doan uh, has left the Coyotes for the Maple Leafs to become the special advisor to the general manager. Donor obviously is a very important person, like, you know, to the Valley here. He's Captain Coyote. He's done so much for the Coyotes organization and really just building up the sport of hockey in Arizona. This is a big time loss for them because obviously Shane Doan has meant everything to the Coyotes fan base and the state of Arizona. And to see him go off, you know, somewhere certainly I think is disappointing. But really, I think what it speaks to is really if he like was able to go and accept this job in Toronto. I mean, obviously it's a great opportunity for him, but I just wonder, does this really speak to his confidence level in the Coyotes? Maybe possibly not staying long-term in Arizona. I think it does. And the reason why is because right now the Coyotes, they had the Tempe entertainment district plan, obviously get shut down. And right now they're in scrambles to go and look elsewhere to go and build a new arena someplace around the Valley but they're having a tough time doing it. And I mean, look, with all due respect to the Coyotes and to hockey, as far as like, you know, it goes on my sports totem pole, it's at the very bottom because while I followed the Coyotes loosely throughout my entire life, I just haven't followed them as in depth as others, but I still care about them. And the reason why is because they're still a part of Arizona and Arizona sports. And they've also, I think, been the the franchise where maybe outside of the Cardinals, they've really just been, it's been a crap show with them because they have never been able to find a solid ownership. I mean, let alone even just like, you know, a very select few of players that the fan base has been able to gravitate to. So look, I just hope for the sake of all Coyotes fans and just hockey fans in general here in AZ, that the Coyotes are going to be able to stay here in Arizona on a long-term basis because, again, it's cool having four uh, major pro sports franchises here in the Valley. And, I mean, for the Coyotes as well, it would be great to see them win a Stanley Cup here in Arizona, just given that they've just gone through so much, you know, dysfunction and disarray as an organization as a whole since they've been here in, uh, in Arizona. So, yeah, hopefully there can be some way, shape, or form that they're able to stay um, at least somewhere in the Valley metropolitan area. Or if not, I don't even care. Move them up to Flagstaff. Move them onto the Arizona border, Mexico border. I don't care. Just as long as they're somewhere in Arizona because that's all I care about at the end of the day. <laughs> all righty, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the Valley Experience. Alongside Logan Lober, I'm Ryan Pesesnik. Make sure to tune in next week for all of the amazing takes we have on Valley Sports. And with that, just keep on following sports. Make sure to uh, give our social media accounts a follow as well. They're going to be at the Valley XP, uh, both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we'll be posting news about the podcast, news about all the Arizona sports teams, 
But yeah, thank you guys all so much for watching. We will we will see you in the next one.